It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ashley Webster. I'm Kennedy. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, April 14th, 2022. I'm Chris Foster. Like a lot of people living in New York City, Fox's Bill Hemmer is concerned about crime affecting the city's return to normalcy lost during the COVID pandemic. The sentences for petty crime are treated differently now in our legal system than they were before. If you as a criminal can go through a revolving door and be back out on the street in 24 hours, then that, that's a problem. I'm Grinnell Scott. Cryptocurrency may be the next financial frontier, but be wary of the ways you may be deceived by it. With cryptocurrency, trying to claim fraud or trying to get back your money that went to a cryptocurrency scam, it is highly, highly unlikely you will ever see one red cent of that. And I'm Will Kane, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. COVID-19 cases are trending back up, enough for some mask mandates to be going back in effect in Philadelphia, for example. But at least for now, hospitalizations have not gone up at the same rate. And daily coronavirus deaths in the U.S. have been in the 500s or so over the last week, less than a fifth what we were seeing in late January, early February. More people who may have been, by choice or not, more isolated earlier in the pandemic are getting back out there. It's almost like it's a gradual reemergence into civil society. Bill Hemmer's co-host of America's Newsroom on Fox. My sense is that people have found a level of comfort for them. Yeah. And that's what determines how willing they are to come back into the office, get on a subway hang out with other people and feel comfortable. Yeah, it feels like we're much more in a personal responsibility zone than we than we were. I agree with it, that. Um, if yeah. you, uh, whereas before, it was like, look, even if you don't care, do mm-hmm. stuff for other people, it's protection. Now it's like, okay, you have you have your options if you mm-hmm. want to, uh, except for the people that can't get vaccinated or the little, the little, little kids that can't get vaccinated. Yeah, I think the other thing I would add is that, I mean, a week and a half ago in Washington, they had a dinner for 600 people and at least it was a super spreader event. Yeah. So it's still out there, but all these people are okay. Nobody went to the hospital. Nobody died. That's the thing. Uh, the thing in Shanghai is is confounding to me. You have 26 million people on a lockdown. On a lockdown. And they're saying they don't have enough food. Yeah. Well, th- they haven't reported any deaths. And if they have, I think it might be one uh, out of 26 million people. What, what I learned during the Christmas break, uh, December and January, when I got the Omicron, I think it was Omicron, um, is that it, it affected me for five days and it set my memory off and my mind off. But everything else, I was kind of, I, w- I was back into it by the weekend. And my feeling is that many others feel the same way. You it sets you back, but it, I it's not going to take you down. You know what? Knock wood, I still haven't gotten it, and I don't want it. And mm-hmm. if, it, if, if, if it's a time when there's a big wave in, in my area or wherever I am, okay, maybe I'm not going to you know some crowded indoor party with, with, with windows closed or whatever. Um, but maybe people think that way about big flu seasons now. Mm-hmm. Where where they make decisions like that based on what's going on. Good, very well. healthy, Good healthy. point. We got more updates on inflation this week that show prices still going up eight and a half percent annually last month on the consumer side, with wholesale prices up even more, eleven point two percent, the highest on record. What confounds me is. There was a debate six months ago as to whether or not Jerome Powell would lead the Fed. And I don't know if that served as a distraction to him and the rest of the Fed policy board, but but it might have. Um, And I also think that was like a 
that was a critical time period to understand what the economy was doing. Um, and I, if I were the Fed, I would not wait. Go ahead and jump at half a point. Try and get ahead of it. And if if you have to take another crack at it a month from now or two months from now, we'll do it again. Um, everybody has told us how nasty this can be. That affects everybody. It is a hidden tax, clearly. And if if there is an opinion now that the Fed's behind the curve, yeah. well, let's catch up as fast as we can. Do you think? And by the way, I thought that statement Manchin put out. I, I read that thing and I said, is he still a member of the Democratic Party? I mean, it, it was really a rip job. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think the free money flowed for too long? Uh, it was there for a reason for a long time. Maybe was was it too long? Yeah. The answer is yes. I went looking back. The Wall Street Journal has a great piece about government spending and why they did it and what, what they were up against. And they criticized what was passed in March on behalf of Democrats. No Republicans voted for it. One point nine trillion dollars. They also criticized Donald Trump in December when he signed nine hundred billion dollars as well. And I went back and I looked at that because I could not recall exactly what that was about. But that was extended payments to a lot of Americans. And Trump said, we don't need this. We don't want to do it. Uh, he said it's stupid or there was some other colorful language that he applied to it. But eventually he came around to it. And I, th- I think it was it was after Christmas when he did it. And I think he surprised a lot of people when he finally conceded to signing that $900 billion. The two bills put together, Knowing or not knowing that we were emerging from the depths of the virus, were, that was a mistake. Getting back to normalcy in New York City, um, crime is up. Uh, I yeah. looked. At, I looked at last month's stats. Murders are down. Everything else, pretty much everything else, is up. Burglaries, robberies, et cetera, et cetera. Some crimes were down during the height of the pandemic, but that there just weren't as many people on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, the percentage of people that were victimized was way up because the the percentage of bad guys, for lack of a better word, didn't go down as much as the lack of you know everybody else. Mm-hmm. But crime is up. You talk to New York City's newish mayor, uh, Eric Adams. What's he saying about it? He's a former cop. He's not necessarily known as soft on crime. Yeah. Um, he's got a big job in front of him. And he says, you know, he's 102, 103 days in. He's not going to tolerate it. And he's not going to tolerate the cardboard homes on the sidewalk. And I think that's a great message to hear. Um, I think New York City's changed. It's a different town from what I have been used to over the past 20 years. I think the other thing, how long have you been here? 30 years. 30 years. So you were here in the 90s. Yeah. So you saw a little bit of the shades of what it was prior to that. I did. It was. Uh, uh, I, I think for you and I and so many of the people who live here, we are, we are the beneficiaries of some really good, tough policies on behalf of Bloomberg and on behalf of Giuliani before him to straighten the city out. And so much of that has been lost because of COVID and the current situation in the city. The other thing is for people who live here, I, a lot of people think we're New York centric. Well, we're New York centric for a reason, because it's a community that we love. We want to make sure that it's it's taken care of. I, the number of times that I have seen people on the sidewalk almost on a daily basis, and I'm sure you have to, mm-hmm. um, and people walking down the sidewalk, and they're doing and they're saying crazy things. And I don't remember this I, to be so frequent I do. pre-COVID. Um, I do, Where? but it was a long, long, long time ago. In the, oh, in the, in the 90s. In the, in the 90s, it was so a lot in the 90s, of that it was, was like that. A lot of that was straightened out. So my question would be then, why was it not that way pre-COVID, and why is it so prominent that way post-COVID? It's a very and, good question. And I have to think that the sentences for petty crime are treated differently now in our legal system than they were before. If you as a criminal can go through a revolving door and be back out on the street in 24 hours, then that's a problem. We have to address this. It's a very, very tough question. And 
Uh, I know a bit about bail reform, and I don't want to see people thrown away uh, in Rikers for two years because they can't afford whatever it is, for what some people would be a nominal bail amount. But at the same time, you don't want this revolving door where people who are legitimately mm-hmm. problematic are getting out, and I don't know the answer. When we had that Christmas tree burned down, yeah. and we were like, oh, we, we got to do something. For people who re- don't remember the, the, the yes. Christmas tree outside here, uh, uh, Fox HQ in Midtown Manhattan, uh, somebody set it on fire. Yes, and turned out to be a homeless man. And he was across the street on the sidewalk within 24 hours watching the reconstruction yeah. of the Christmas tree part two. And I, I don't mean to, to bring that up. It, it sounds probably frivolous compared to what we're talking about in the subway this week. Um, but I think it stands to make a larger point, And that's why I bring it up. Yeah. You were at uh, Pierre Zakszewski's funeral, yeah. right, in Ireland. Um, uh, Fox photojournalist, very well respected, beloved, uh, not just by people here at Fox, but across the um, international reporting community, the war uh, correspondent community, has been doing it for a very long time. Uh, my wife uh, was a, a field producer here at Fox for for many years. Traveled with Pierre a lot. A lot of tears in my household, yeah. uh, and and a lot of phone calls and reminiscing. Um, what was the funeral like? Talk about mm. Pierre a little bit. Um, I uh, he's a great guy. We did a lot of stuff together overseas. Um, I can't say we were close friends, but he was a he was a good guy. Yeah. And he cared about this place, and he cared about doing a good job. Um, we did a lot of time together in Baghdad and Iraq during some dark days, et cetera. And I, you know, P- Pierre was, you know, he was a jack of all trades, and he did it with a smile. And to meet his family, I thought for me was, I thought it was profound to see how refined they were, especially his sisters, his oldest sister and youngest sister, and he's got two brothers in between, and just, to, just to get to know them and see how much they care about him and just our well-being and the. Pierre looked at life through a lens on a camera, and he, he saw it through that that square, that rectangular shape, wherever it was, and wherever he went for 30 or 40 years, and that was all over the world, a lot of time in Central Asia. And um, they brought out, uh, during the wake at his house, I, I, I was not aware of this, but uh, it was the first real Irish wake I ever attended, and it's three days. It's like they're sitting Shiva uh, at the house, and Pierre's body was in the bedroom on the second floor inside an open casket, and that's their way of honoring those who have left this world. Um, I thought the funeral mass the next day, you're 30 minutes south of Dublin, Ireland, uh, Dublin, Ireland. you're in a Roman Catholic church, and there's a choir up top. And there's Irish instruments that play in the church. And every seat and every pew is packed. And Pierre's body was carried in in a pine basket, which is a very simple way of uh, saying goodbye to the deceased. And I, I get every image in that church was so profound and so beautiful. It was cinematic. It was, it was as if Pierre, who saw life, through that lens of a camera, would have been so proud of the (laughs) images that his family made for him when they said goodbye. A month ago today, Fox News photojournalist Pierre Zakshevsky was killed covering the war in Ukraine. Bill went to the funeral in Ireland where Pierre was from. Correspondent Benjamin Hall was badly injured that day in Ukraine, and a young Ukrainian journalist, Sasha Kushnova, was also killed. 
Sasha was a remarkable young lady. She was 24 years old. She was Ukrainian, and uh, she was looking for a way to help her country out during a war. And what we do is, she's called a fixer. What, what is a fixer? A fixer is a local person who can help with those translation, make phone calls, find stories, tell you which way to go on the road, et cetera. They are invaluable to us flying into areas like Ukraine to, to cover a story. And then uh, you know, our colleague, Benjamin Hall, thank right. God that uh, he's alive. Um, he's fighting, uh, he's recovering, but he's alive and he has three young girls. I, I believe all three are under the age of six. They're little. And um, with a lot of great medical care that has been put into 20 years of war, I would argue, um, the Americans are the best at it, at getting people to a life that is somewhat back to a sense of normalcy. But for Benjamin Hall and his wife, um, he's going to go home to his three young daughters. And I think that's the best message we can take from that. Bill Hammer, co-host of America's Newsroom on Fox, 9 to 11 Eastern, Monday to Friday. Bill, it's good to see your face. You too. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Will Kane with your Fox News commentary coming up. As the old saying goes, cash is king. But cryptocurrency is, in many eyes, the heir apparent. It comes in many forms. Bitcoin, you may know or have heard of. But other names, Ethereum, Tether, Solana, may not be so familiar to you. The digital nature of the currency appeals to many because it eliminates the banks and physical cash. It's done person to person, which for many is the preferred way to transact. But like any exchange of goods or services or finances, there are dangers that exist and the potential for criminal intent. Tom Holt, the director of the School of Criminal Justice at Michigan State University, warns us. Hackers, whether working on behalf of the state or on their own, could start targeting cryptocurrencies as a means to get money back. So what do we need to recognize to not be taken in? Perhaps the best way to understand that is to know exactly what we're dealing with when it comes to cryptocurrency. I actually have three definitions of cryptocurrency. Kurt Knudsen, the cyber guy, is a journalist, investor, and innovator. He is an expert in the world of technology. The first definition is for anybody 26 and under, and that means the future of money without physical money. The second definition is for everybody over 26 predominantly, which is, this is a bunch of BS funny money. I'm not buying it. And then the third definition is, what? This is what you want to bring up on our first date? I got to go. Bottom line is that younger people are into it. They grab it. They're willing to take much bigger risks with it. And the older you are, the less likely you are to jump right into cryptocurrencies. Ryan Selkis, who is uh, the uh, Masari crypto founder, he had this to say about government regulation of cryptocurrency. Here's what he had to say on that. Well, let's talk about the Biden administration's financial regulators. They talk a lot about protecting Americans from crypto. The reality is this is about control. And the, the thing about that is the president signed an executive order talking about how to start the regulation of a cryptocurrency. How does that change the game if that were indeed to happen? I mean, the president has 
essentially said, hey, let's have a conversation. And he's made that official. It's about time. This is really should have been at the front and center of every aspect of every branch of our government a long time ago. If you want to make this serious, they've got to get serious about it. Is it a control mechanism? I don't know. I can't tell you what kind of controls they want over it, but I can tell you this. They want to figure out how to get enough control over cryptocurrency so that they at least understand where it's moving, when it's moving and who it's moving to and from. I think back to uh, the hacking of the Colonial Pipeline and the money that was asked for to release the pipeline from that hack was in cryptocurrency. Nothing is immune to crime. So is part of the goal of regulation trying to protect cryptocurrency from those kinds of crimes? Or, or is that something that can ever happen? I think when it comes down to governments like ours here in the U.S., the reason to have regulation or the focus on it is, number one, to collect taxes off of it, to keep people from skirting income reports off of it and using that offshore in some manner. And in terms of the second important thing for them would be security, would be how do you track when ransomware attacks occur, hackers from countries like Russia end up pilfering millions of dollars out of the U.S. economy from private business and have zero accountability to it. Can the government track it now? Yes. Should it be such an effort for the NSA and other aspects of our government to uh, zero down who's behind a ransomware attack that was paid in cryptocurrency? No, it should be a little bit more out in the open. Uh, transparency is always better, in my opinion, why are we hiding anything? So what the government's role here is, is probably they don't want to miss out on tax, you know, especially now this administration, they want to tax, 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 spend, spend, spend. And then you have uh, the other concerns that I think everybody feels, which is let's not let this stuff just run amok and run all over us because there are people losing serious amounts of money. And I'm not talking about a gas company that can handle that hit. I'm talking about people that are being attacked uh, using cryptocurrency schemes with ransomware attacks that hit at their retirement. And that is where it hurts. Let's talk about that. Uh, and let's talk about how you and I would deal with something like that, because there is a report out there that says that scammers stole about and I believe the number is $14 billion using crypto scams, and Americans lost some $750 million as a result of those scams. With the crypto space being such a new thing out there for most people, like myself, who don't know a whole lot about it, how can people protect themselves? Well, first of all, don't give your real money after cryptocurrency from somebody you've met on a dating website ever, never, ever, ever, ever. And that sadly is a big target for a lot of the scammers online right now is to meet somebody on a dating website, pretend that you're the person of their dreams and roll this out weeks into months, if not over a year, and convince them over a period of time to put a small amount of money into a cryptocurrency fund that you introduce them to. The fund is really a fake website that means nothing. And the second they transfer their real money into it, it's gone. 
And only later, when they showed them the next stage of the trick, which is, wow, you're doing so well with our fake cryptocurrency account, which they don't know is fake, they look at that and go, oh my gosh, they were right. So then they say, now let's do some serious money. Why, are, why aren't you, let's, let's dig in to the rest of your retirement account. And I'll bet you, you will do at least half of that and double that money. So then they send the next amount. And again, it goes into a different or similar fake account. And by then that scam is done. That money is gone. There is no way they're getting it back. You help me with the transition again, because when that money is gone, because people know that is a virtual currency, it is a, a digital currency, do people make that attempt to get it back or do they just say, you know what, I've lost it, that's it, it's over, I'm going to move on? Nothing's impossible in life, but with cryptocurrency, trying to claim fraud or trying to get back your money that went to a cryptocurrency scam, it is highly, highly unlikely you will ever see one red cent of that. And the thing is, we have seen it work the other way around. We have seen our own government go in and, for example, I might have been the Colonial Pipeline. It was a very similar story where they, they were able to go back in find where the cryptocurrency scam uh, transferred the money and then raid their account, pulling the cryptocurrency back out and essentially taking over their account through likely malware, a malware attack, putting it right back where it came from and then cutting ties so that they didn't have access to get to the money again. But if you're an individual investor, you spend real money after crypto, it ends up being a scam, say bye-bye. Is it possible to ever find out, I may not get any of the money back, but is it possible to find out who did this to me? I mean, we have hackers in various countries around the world who are adept at hacking across the world. Is it possible to really narrow down and pinpoint who pushed the button to do this to me? Again, anything's possible in life if you've got the money and the resources behind it to track it down. So, yeah, you could find it. What are you going to do when you find it? They're in another country with no laws and nobody willing to enforce any of the U.S. laws against them. So your money's gone. And even if you found them, what are you going to do? Just yell at them. They know what they're doing. They know how to scam you. They are doing it in droves in a, in a way we've never seen before with the volume we've never seen before. We talk about cryptocurrency in the sense that it's going to lead us eventually to what we see in science fiction movies, a cashless society in our future. How practical is that? I 100% believe that we one day will no longer use physical money and that it will be a digital form of money around the globe. Will it happen in my lifetime? I don't know. It could. Are we ready for it? Not a chance. All this is way too volatile. And again, without any form of embrace from regulators that we trust, that the Fed would trust, we're never going to see anything move in this space. It's all going to be speculative until some serious guardrails are installed that everybody can agree upon. And then the world starts treating it as something valuable. 
it is a future that some say is inevitable. We will wait and see exactly how inevitable it will be. Kirk Knudsen is the cyber guy. He wears many hats. He is an expert on all things technology. Uh, you have a lot of information out there. Where can people find you? Thanks for uh, promoting it. It's cyberguy.com, where we, in fact, have a list of the five greatest scams that are circulating right now and how to protect yourself against them. This time in our lives has never been more important than to really lock down your tech. I mean, if you haven't already put a third party security protection platform in place across your devices, it's time to do it. The level of threats we're seeing, the craziness in the world from outside of our borders and even inside of our borders, We've never been more under attack, and we've also never seen hackers use such sophisticated tools to get into our lives. And so make sure you check out ways to do that. And we have full reviews of great, you know, the top in each category there to check out. Kurt Knudsen, the cyber guy, thank you so much for the time and the information. Hey, thank you. And stay away from the scams, please. Download the one, the one with Craig Gutfeld. Jennifer Haramai. Uh, my ex-husband, Neil Haggerty, like, we wrote all the songs together, but then he pieced out and yeah. didn't want anything to do with the mixing. Right. So, you know, you know you're, you're putting stuff in my lap, and you're going to get a little bit of my flavors. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Will Kane. What's on your mind? $2,700 plate fundraisers. Armies of corporate lawyers. Lobbyists with fistfuls of cash. That is how Mickey Mouse mobbed up. That's how Steamboat Willie and Disney extended copyright protection for well over a century. At this point, I'm sure you are aware that Disney has become not just family-friendly entertainment, but Disney has become a political activist. For years, this has been the case, as through its subsidiaries like ESPN, it's taken positions on Major League Baseball, All-Star Games, trans bathrooms, gender identity. But in the past few weeks, Disney has made its political perspective perfectly clear. They took a position on Florida's parental rights in education law, saying that strangers should be able to talk to seven-year-olds about their gender identity and their sexuality. Specifically, teachers in kindergarten through third grade should be able to share their sexual experiences with your child. And this has offended me. It's offended you. It's offended all rational people. And as such, it should mean we should take down the mobbed up protection of Steamboat Willie. Here's what I mean. Steamboat Willie, a.k.a. Mickey Mouse, has been under copyright protection by the United States government for well over a century. These laws, which keep creations outside of the public domain, protected from anyone else 
fairly using those creations have been extended year after year after year. In 1999, this was extended for another 20 years. And for Mickey Mouse, that meant copyright protection until 2024. For what it's worth, in the decade after that, you will see Superman, Batman, Snow White all coming up for the expiration of their copyright protection and their eligibility for fair use. This applies to Warner Brothers as well, who recently took a position on trans issues while editing out that content in any movie they release in China. If you're that hypocritical, if you're that partisan, you don't also get to be privileged. And that is when mobbed up Mickey pays the price for Disney. For more commentary and editorials like this, check out the Will Cain podcast on Fox News Podcast. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Find it now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and foxnewspodcasts.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.